This episode of Excuse the Intermission is presented in partnership with the Grand Cinema. The Grand Cinema is the South Sound's nonprofit home for independent, international, and local film. The theater strives to enrich the lives and enhance the cultural vitality of the greater Tacoma community through the art of film. The Grand Cinema is dedicated to providing their signature art house movie going experience in a safe and healthy fashion. There is something for everyone at the Grand Cinema. Along with their wonderful weekly programming, they are also home to the Weird Elephant Late Night Film Series, the Silver Screen Society, Free Family Flicks, and Tacoma's Outdoor Movie Series. You can also inquire about theater rentals at the Grand Cinema by contacting their box office or website. The staff and volunteers cannot wait to make your experience at the movies a memorable one, so grab your friends, grab your tickets, and don't forget to stop at the concession stand for the Grand Signature Popcorn. The Grand Cinema is located at 606 Fawcett Avenue in Tacoma, Washington, and open seven days a week. You can find them online at www.grandcinema.com and on Instagram and Facebook at The Grand Cinema. This episode of Excuse the Intermission is presented in partnership with The Grand Cinema. The Grand Cinema is the South Sound's nonprofit home for independent, international, and local film. The theater strives to enrich the lives and enhance the cultural vitality of the greater Tacoma community through the art of film. The Grand Cinema reopened their doors on April 30th and is dedicated to providing their signature art house movie going experience in a safe and healthy fashion. Face masks are optional while visiting the cinema. Seating inside the auditorium is still currently limited to allow for social distancing, so popular showtimes may fill up quicker than usual. Purchasing your tickets online is highly recommended. The staff and volunteers are thrilled to welcome you back to the movies, so grab your friends, grab your tickets, and don't forget to stop at the concession stand for the Grand Signature Popcorn. The Grand Cinema is located at 606 Fawcett Avenue in Tacoma, Washington, and open seven days a week. You can find them online at www.grandcinema.com and on Instagram and Facebook at The Grand Cinema for a full list of their showtimes and COVID-19 guidelines. How's it? I'm Alex McCauley. I'm Max Fosberg. And I'm Grant Colombini. And this is Excuse the Intermission, a discussion show surrounding Marvel, 1950s Detroit, strippers, and everything in between. On this episode of ETI, we, we, we will be discussing the latest MCU installment, Black Widow, with help from our favorite superhero correspondent, along with some other July releases that have caught our attention. And then we'll close the show by looking ahead to some of the remaining releases this month that have us excited. It all starts next after this quick break. Screen Team, how you guys doing? I'm Derek Schneider. I'm Max Fosberg. And I'm Kristen Marlowe. And we are the Terrifying Trio here to tell you about our show right here on the Chatter Network called the Silver Screams Podcast. It's a show where we watch scary movies and then talk to each other about what we just saw. All the way from the hardworking people behind the scenes. To the themes and sometimes deeper meanings of those scenes. And of course, the best part, our favorite kill. So tune in every Friday wherever you get your podcast fix. And as always, stay stay spooky, spooky, Scream Team. Okay, guys, we're back. Not in the traditional sense yet, however, seeing as how Grant is still in Hawaii. At the time of this recording, you have, what, 24 hours left on Maui? I'm in my last full day, but I do take a red-eye home tomorrow. So I kind of have 48 hours, so to speak. So 
definitely soaking it up as much as I can in the meantime. Are you going to stay up all night tonight, like before sunrise and just walk around the town? I mean, the, the nightlife here is pretty cool. The stargazing on the beach is just absolutely incredible. I think I mentioned that on last episode. So I've been trying to do that as much as possible. Um, I just finally got to go uh, yesterday to a spot called baby beach, which is like the greatest snorkeling you can ever do in Hawaii. It's like a maze through coral. It's like the perfect depth. It's a huge reef. So I'm definitely going to be hitting that up, doing some night snorkeling tonight with uh, my light and my GoPro. Um, so I, I, got, I got a few more things up my sleeve to knock off, but mostly just kind of hitting hitting the bars I love. And I mean, I, I'm just trying to do everything I can. Awesome. Uh, night snorkeling is the best. So much fun. It's a whole nother world um, at night. So that'd be really cool. Uh, so joining us to discuss the biggest release thus far of 2021 is our good friend and superhero enthusiast, Heath Triller. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me back. Talk uh, about some of my favorite subjects. Of course. Uh, so yeah, and this feels oddly poetic, seeing as how the last time you joined us was uh, not only for another superhero movie, but a female-driven and led one at that. Of course, that was Wonder Woman 1984 from Grant's uh, beloved DC Extended Universe. Today you're here to talk. Don't, 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 don't tag me along to the 80s. <laughs> don't. Um, Not part of that. But now you're here to talk about the other side of the coin in Marvel and their much anticipated film Black Widow. So before we get into the reads too much, I am going to make you draw a line in the sand here, the superhero sand. And I know we've talked about this before, and you've given some very legit qualifiers for each camp. But are you a DC or a Marvel guy at heart? Oh, I mean, this isn't hard for me. I'm, I'm definitely a Marvel person. Um, I, I just kind of am like just true to that, no matter what. But for the sake of being a fan of superheroes in general, I just I don't I have nothing to gain from either side being bad or good, you know. So I just I try to enjoy them all, but I definitely am drawn to Marvel a hundred percent. Uh, yeah, and and I knew that was the answer, and that kind of speaks to your relationship with the Marvel franchise. Um, but but I am kind of curious. I've never really asked you how you feel that Kevin Feige and everyone involved have how you know how they've done in their job of doling out these stories, the television shows now. Like, have they really been able to hold your attention throughout this universe era, um, or are you just kind of like just spoon feed me whatever is next, or, or is there still that same sense of anticipation for you? You know, it's crazy, like, the the empire that they've built in such a, I mean, it's not a short amount of time, but within the, this last 10 years, like, this is an entertainment experience that we have yet to experience until now. So it's cool to see it unfold uh, right in front of us. Um, but I think Kevin Feige is honestly, like, what a great pick for Marvel's, like, head honcho, because he really knows how to keep his fans fed. Um, and I've been very, very so, you know, pleasantly surprised with a lot of the projects, even the ones that are on Disney Plus. Um, sure, there's always room for like little nitpicks and things that I could wish that were, you know, maybe better or more thought out in my personal opinion. But overall, I'm just having a great time. I think it's just so fun. Grant, I'll ask you the same question. How do you think that this um, franchise has been paced? Well, I mean, you can't argue the fact that MCU is, how Keith just put it, is the empire when it comes to the superhero movies. They've, granted, had a lot more time to establish their universe. Um, they've obviously put a lot of faith in Kevin Feige and letting him do what he wants. And he's letting his creators do what they want to to a certain extent. 
um, where WB, we all know my thoughts on that studio and how they've handled handled things. So you can't argue with the success of the MCU. I personally feel like it could be better. There's a lot of misses where like from Thor Ragnarok being the last movie to set up Infinity War to then these TV shows on uh, Disney Plus that are just kind of like, I feel like dragging a little bit and just kind of like trying to extend it as long as they can rather than giving the fans what they really want. So I, I do have my nitpicks, but I mean, you can't argue with the success. And even though I am a DC guy at heart, I love the Marvel movies. I buy them all. I have most of them on Blu-ray. I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Loki right now. Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision, not so much. But there's, there, there, you can't argue with the success. And I grew up on Marvel. And then I grew into DC. So I, I, I love them, even though I have my stronger opinions about how they've been executed lately. Well, they're definitely, they're definitely the, uh, the blueprint of how to do this sort of extended universe. No, no one has ever done. And, you know, I think we've all said this, but no one has ever done like this amount of franchise movies in this short of time. The only thing that comes to mind is maybe like the Godzilla franchise or James Bond, but even those aren't all interconnected uh, throughout, you know, uh, an 11 year span like Marvel has done. And Marvel's so weird. Like I, I tend to get kind of burnt out uh, on certain at certain points, but then they do something else that just gets hooks me back in. Um, this movie in particular is is really interesting, and, and we'll get into Black Widow. But the fact that this came out in 2020 and not 2016 is uh, is an odd move. And I know it's 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 kind of the first time they've really just been like. Here's here is just like some fan service product uh, without, you know, big picture storylines, I would say. Yeah. Money grab. Yeah. That's what I call this one. Um, I wouldn't call it a money grab grant. I mean, it, it definitely was an attempt to to hearken back to some success that the Black Widow character, um, you know, probably could have had instead of somebody like Cap. And not that this movie did poorly, but like Captain Marvel, where I don't I don't think of anybody as being like that's their superhero from this franchise. Whereas I feel like a lot more people are probably like Black Widow. Well, that's my girl. I'm gonna yeah. It's her. way way overdue for for Black Widow. I mean, she's one of the original five or six or whatever those the original avengers were and then also going back um to the first time that we had heath on the show i feel like this this character um really has the opportunity to kind of be the wonder woman of the dc universe or of the marvel universe and that this movie could have been better served to come out kind of more in competition with the first wonder woman movie yeah yeah um so yeah i mean for me, myself, everyone, listeners of this podcast, <laughs> they know that I am not well-versed. This is a foreign language to me, the the Marvel Extended Universe. Uh, so going into this movie, I was just very entertained because I felt like it was sort of a standalone, some sort of fan service where you got to just have some fun action set pieces with big movie stars um, that, that didn't require a lot of homework. And, and uh, you know, I was texting, texting Heath a little bit throughout the week. Grant had kind of poked some fun at me on Twitter where I wanted a movie that didn't really require a lot of homework. Sure, there were some parts where you needed to have that that dictionary, that thesaurus of 
MCU terms and, and people and places and past events. But for the most part, you could kind of get lost in the story of what you were just getting then at the time. So, uh, Alex, knowing your background with superhero movies, I, w- I want to know, do, you've never seen Endgame, right? Never Aven- seen any Avengers. Avengers. Do you know, like, Natasha and the, the Black Widow story arc? Do you know where she is currently in the Marvel Universe? She's dead. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah. So so that also, and, and I think this is my biggest gripe and probably why I just don't really mess with superhero movies, especially those of, you know, the comic book variety is that they're all very low stakes. And so like even in this movie, I know that nothing bad is going to happen to either Florence Pugh or Scarlett Johansson because she's not dead yet. Like she's going to die in a later movie. And so that takes a little bit of of the suspense out of it for me. But that I could be said about any of these movies, like in a movie like Thor Ragnarok or Doctor Strange or something, one of these movies that you guys have always told me I would probably really like. Still very low, low stakes. I like none of those principal characters are ever going to die. And until maybe something like Endgame or or whatever, when Thanos comes in and then he's the big bad of this entire universe. So, so yeah, I don't know. There's, there's a certain popcorn aspect. Like I popped literally two bags of popcorn while watching this movie, just cause I'm like, I'm just going to sit down and have a good time. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, it's, it's the double-edged sword of the connected universe that if you aren't keeping up with it as it comes out, things are either going to get ruined or how you said low stakes to where you know this whole movie nothing's bad going to happen to her because she still is in technically in the timeline two movies moving forward if not three so well this is why this movie should have came out in 2016 i mean it's exactly set right after captain america uh winter soldier uh civil war no civil war excuse me yeah yeah and And, and that's and that Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and that's well, that's what I was thinking is if this movie had come out right after that one, it probably would have looked a lot different as far as the setup and the continuation into the other one where we'll get into, you know, how the movie ends and then how it bleeds into what's going to be coming after this. But to me, that's where I'm talking. Like when I mentioned money grab, it's just kind of like, hey, we're already past this, but let's just let's just squeeze this in just to kind of get one more thing out of it. So. I think that it was definitely like a, the, the ball was dropped by Marvel 100%, um, which is surprising because they're usually so on top of it. But for this particular project, I do for certain think it should have come out right after Civil War, um, just because I think it would have been, would have been more fair to the character. And also it would have um, been able to kind of like, uh, I don't know, get out of the, the pandemic uh, trap that it fell into with like mm-hmm. making it further stretched out and like it, it took even longer for us to get it so it it was kind of a disservice to the character i think that it took this long um but at the end of the day i guess i am still happy that we did get it you know i think another huge reason it didn't come out in 2016 because we didn't have florence Pugh. i was just gonna ask keith if this movie comes out in 2016 not to put you on the spot or anything but who would you want to see in that florence Pugh role oh god actually that's like <laughs> She like since she is like probably she's like the 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 North Star for me right now for uh-huh. like all movies. <laughs> yes. So I am like, oh god, I I actually really don't know. Um, I'm trying to think who else would have been. 
all, all these like young actresses that I'm like, I don't know that nobody holds a candle to her right now in my books. Yeah, I'm afraid it almost would have been somebody who wasn't, you know, necessarily attached to a universe. Obviously, like she played Catwoman in the Christopher Nolan movies, but an Anne Hathaway or, or somebody like that back in 2016, I almost would have been afraid that it could have been Kat, her. On a, on a Taylor Joy? Was she around? Was the witch? Not, Did the witch come out? Not, I mean, she was. The witch was 2015 or 16, I believe, but I don't yeah. think that she would have had the clout to carry a role like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're absolutely right, Max. The fact that this comes along when it did, when it did, it, you know, it gives them Florence Pugh, which is a huge part of why this movie is successful. Um, okay. So I know on our last episode, we previewed a review of Black Widow in our traditional seven category, uh, system. And then Scarlett Johansson, Mount Rushmore to follow. Well, after some careful discussion, we've decided to just have this conversation about the film in a more general sense. We want to talk about what we felt worked, what we felt didn't, and where this falls, this chapter in the MCU, and where this um, this franchise will be headed, because this is not the end-all, be-all to the MCU, of course. Uh, so uh, Black Widow is a 2021 film, which was, of course, shot pre-pandemic. It's directed by Kate Shortland, an Australian filmmaker who, prior to this, had only directed three feature-length films. So, you know, awesome to see her at the helm of this. Black Widow, of course, stars the aforementioned Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh, newcomer to the MCU and ETI's number one star, under age 31, as as, um, ranked on a previous episode. So we love to see that. You have the dad bod lord, David Harbour, in there. You have veteran all-around phenomenal actress Rachel Weisz in there. And then also appearing in this film are Ray Winstone and William Hurt, two great, very accomplished screen actors, William Hurt especially. Uh, who I feel like to newer generations is maybe just one of those household faces right now. Um, but those guys really add a level of depth to this cast, which is something that, frankly, the entire universe has become known for, which is still beyond me. You just get these A-list actors coming through um, and putting in just a little, you know, probably 10 days on set, something like that. Um, but I'm happy for them and the very generous paychecks that I'm sure they get to cash off of these roles. Um, so as mentioned at the top, Black Widow is the most successful release of the year uh to date at least earning 218 million dollars worldwide in its opening weekend with 80 million of that coming from the domestic box office numbers and 60 million from disney plus premier access purchases so i do want to start there uh, i think it's cool that with disney plus we can at least begin to quantify a film and its streaming performances with the premier access feature uh when you guys hear 60 million via streaming what are your initial reactions, and do you think that this could start a trend of services like Netflix or Amazon Prime charging an additional fee for newer theater-level productions? We'll start with you, Heath, because I know you were somebody that paid the $30 to get this right away. Oh, I mean, that I think is the entire uh, – I mean, watch my phrasing, but endgame for <laughs> this, <laughs> for the like Disney+. Plus. Like That is, I think, the entire point that they were hoping to make. And they made it. That, I mean, that is an impressive number coming from a $30 purchase um, per, you know, household. And to see that coming in at that strong for this weekend, I think is um, like just evident of what else is to come from other streaming services. I, I absolutely agree with that. Graham, what, what's your take on that? Because $60 million, that's more than a movie like A Quiet Place made than a lot of these other films that we've been talking about is, you know, kind of reopening movie theaters. All of a sudden, $60 million makes Godzilla versus Kong and some of these other movies, you know, seem like direct-to-video. We'll be back after a quick break. 
Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, the, whether you like it or not, it's the, it's going to be a great, you know, arguing point of the streaming over theater kind of aspect. And Disney plus is the one that kind of has the the corner on it where HBO max did the, Hey, we're going to give it to you for free. If you just buy the subscription, you know, we're not going to make any additional money other than subscriptions off of it, where you make 60 million off of already people paying a subscription. I mean, it's, you can't argue it's a smart move. I think it's the future for Marvel, though. I think something like this, to where it's like, I'm glad I didn't have to go to a theater to see it. I, I would have rather, like, what's going to happen in the future with the Suicide Squad on HBO Max. I'm glad I don't have to pay money to go see that, because I'm not too eager to see it. This one, I, you know, it's Marvel, so of course I'm going to see it. I, there wasn't a movie theater around me on vacation, so of course I paid the 30 bucks. If I was home in Tacoma, would have gone to the theater. Um, but it's, it, it's a huge success. I mean, you can't argue with the fact that you made 60 million from at home viewership. And I don't like what that's going to do for the argument moving forward of, will we be able to do that with Netflix, with other movies and, and that kind of thing of being able to rent or premium access, that kind of thing. But you can't argue that that is going to be a huge, huge driving point moving forward. So I think a lot of the Disney plus Marvel movies are going to be that way from, from now on. I don't, they don't have no reason not to. Yeah. I mean, like these two guys have said that it's the future. Um, uh, unfortunately when you're pulling in that much money, I, I'm, I'm interested to know how much Corella did, which came out a couple weeks before black widow, but also at that $30 price. Um, but again, with a huge franchise like this, when you have, such a built-in audience, it makes sense to make it available as many ways as possible and to to charge people. I mean, I, I bought it for 30 bucks, um, you know, because uh, I had to watch it for this show. I don't know. I don't know if I would have gone and seen it in the theaters if it was just theaters. I mean, I guess I would have because, again, I have to watch it. But, um, but yeah, again, I, I think it's the future, unfortunately. Uh, and, and that sucks for theaters, but also maybe kind of opens the doors for smaller films, uh, more independent stuff to get into bigger screens uh, across the nation. And, and to turn turn a bigger profit. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously, if the film's worth seeing, that's what we want from the directors. How much did it make in theater? In we- theaters, it was $80 million domestic. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which that alone is still the biggest uh, domestic box office opening that we've had this year, too. So, yeah. It, it will be very interesting to see if all of a sudden maybe just in competition, Netflix or Prime start releasing kind of some more. That's what, you know, audiences and film critics and everybody have been wanting from those those services is give us some numbers. You know, mm-hmm. when when you release something like, um, you know, a Palm Springs or something like that, tell us how many people watch it the first weekend when it comes to Netflix, tell us, you know, the numbers behind some of their bigger releases that that they dole out week after week, it seems now. Uh, So I I do think that we'll start getting more of that. I don't know necessarily if we'll get the the paid access 
the the paywall on those services quite yet. But I do think we're going to start seeing more numbers being reported as Disney Plus continues um, to to give out information like this. Um, okay, so now to the film itself, Heath. I'll start with you. D- did you like this movie? I I did. I really did. I I think that as far as how long it took to get and uh, the, all the delays, it had like five different release dates that were listed from you know May of 2020, and then moving onward, it was moved to October and then, you know, it just kept getting pushed. So I was, I was very hopeful, but like also kind of nervous that it wouldn't um, at least land in a, like a comfortable, enjoyable spot after all that time. And I was pleased that it, it did. I, I had a really good time watching it. I liked it even better the second time. Um, I think the performances were, you know, really strong from our, our main four, uh, especially with you know the young uh, Florence Pugh coming in and really taking um, a lot of the shine, I thought that was really exciting. And to have her be something that we can look forward to is also uh, a big uh, bullet point for me. Uh, Max, what, what were your impressions? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it as a Mission Impossible or a female-led James Bond movie. Uh, yeah, absolutely loved it. I thought it was a thrill ride. Um, I, yeah, that, that's an important qualifier is that the Black Widow and, and then subsequently Florence Pugh, uh, her sister, they aren't superheroes super, in the traditional yeah. sense of like a Doctor Strange or somebody right. like that. There's no powers between yeah, these the, two. The only, what, the only powers was, was David Harbour's uh, character. He had like super strength. Right. Um, yeah, the first time that he just like flips that garbage uh, truck or whatever it is at the <laughs> airport, you're kind of like and during that big getaway at the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I, I enjoyed uh, my time watching this movie. Uh, I I think it's a, a solid. Again, I, I it, it's it's hard because you're watching it and you're just like, well, you know this this would have been a great it would have been a great slot if it was put in the right place of the Marvel timeline. Um, and that, for some reason that really sticks in my craw that it's, that it's, uh, that it's not there where it should be, uh, in the release date. But, but yeah, I, I enjoyed this movie. Grant, what were your impressions? I mean, I went into this movie with very low expectations. I wasn't too excited about it. Um, just because of, from what I'd seen in the trailers and that kind of thing. And then mostly, I mean, Black Widow and Hawkeye through from the first Avenger or through Iron Man two and the first Avengers moving forward have been the two characters I've cared the least about because we didn't really have an emotional connection to them. They were just there part of the tagline End game and infinity war makes you care about, or not infinity war, but Endgame makes you care about Hawkeye. You get that emotional connection. So I was really hoping this movie did that for me, for Natasha and it just didn't. I feel like she her character just doesn't have emotional depth. So on the second viewing, I kind of realized that even though it's called Black Widow, this is the Yelena movie. This is getting her to take on the moniker. And I ended up liking it a lot more the second time when you realize it's her movie. But yeah, Florence Pugh and David Harbour stole the show. (laughs) And I can't wait to see what they do moving forward. Uh, Ray Winstone was a very surprising, pleasant surprise. I I love the guy and he did a great job. I was hoping to care about Natasha and I just never did. So I was very hit and miss. I have my gripes on how the movie ended on how uh, just there was parts where I felt like they could have done more and they just didn't like the end fight scene 
I thought would have been way more extravagant, but it was super short. And then they didn't have Yelena in there. I thought it had been great having them back to back. So it, it was it was hit and miss. I ended up liking it a lot more than I thought I would. Um, I did like how they poked fun at themselves like they have done in the past couple movies of the whole posing thing. Um, David Harbour always trying to have an extravagant speech like we've had in past movies and he just never really gets to get there. So I, I was pleasantly surprised. Still not my favorite, but I ended up liking it more than I thought I would. Yeah, uh, I, I think that this the script definitely has a good sense of humor to it um, where it doesn't take itself too serious. But then I think that that kind of harkens back to what maybe Max is saying that, it, you know, fans of the MCU, they are used to that joking nature behind some of these movies. But they also want a, a, a story, especially when you are dealing with these, quote unquote, superheroes that that are just humans really at the, at their core that, that still feels very, you know, grounded in reality and, and something that you can take serious that, you know, that you can kind of snub your nose up at somebody like Martin Scorsese, who says that these are just, you know, popcorn flicks and they're not real cinema or whatever. You want to be able to say that these are, you know, real pieces of cinema. This movie, I think kind of, it, it, you know, it, it balances that line, it treads that line pretty, pretty carefully. Um, uh, you know, as like I said earlier, as someone who's not invested in this universe, I got a kick out of it. Um, I thought that Rachel Weiss was a little uh, underused. Way it, underused. Yeah. Um, once again, happy for her and the paycheck that I'm sure she got. But, um, you know, it, it is what it is with these movies. I'm here for Scarlett Johansson and I'm here for Florence Pugh. And I will say that Florence Pugh's accent I thought was very good once I got used to it. It took a minute. Uh, and, and then David Harbour's as well. I, I thought that he was pretty hammy at times. Uh, but those were more of the things that I was really looking for um, as opposed to where did this fit in the timeline and things like that. So it made for a pretty enjoyable watch. A lot of different things that I could pull from from different movies, like how you were saying, Max, kind of like, okay, this feels like a Mission Impossible movie. This almost even feels like um, – you know, like some f- deranged uh, version of of Austin Powers and the Fembots, when <laughs> when all the girls and everybody are are kind of you know under the mind control of of whoever they're supposed to be under the mind control of, um, you know that whoever a big bad is in this movie, I forget his like character's name, but um, but yeah, Drakeoff, yeah, Drakeoff, thank you. Um, so yeah. I, for me, very enjoyable movie within the a universe that I have very little um, invested in. So, so I did enjoy that. Um, did you have any ma- major complaints, Heath? Um, you know, I, I there's definitely some gripes, um, and I think that there are a lot of like the the criticisms like that I've been reading about and seeing people talk about are all kind of like a overall consensus. I feel like it's a lot of the same areas that people have um, their you know, critiques on. And I, I think that that overall is kind of a, a good thing, honestly, like rather than picking apart an entire film, like every angle of it, I think everyone is kind of on the same page as far as the things that they wish could have been a little bit better. Um, I definitely think that the fight scenes like were cut too short. Like Grant was saying, um, they're super, super cool. And then all of a sudden they would just end. And it's like, dang, we could have used at least two to three minutes more per fight for those things. Um, and then also the taskmaster, um, I don't have so much of a problem of like what the, the reveal was. I just think that they were so underused. Um, I, I wanted a lot more of that menacing presence throughout the entire film. Um, and then, 
maybe more of a punch, not maybe definitely more of a punch at the end. I, I do think that that's where these movies, um, you know, they fall victim to to past installments um, where whereas an audience member, I you know, Grant, you say you wanted more at the end. I don't know if you wanted a full on doomsday destroying a city and massive CGI and everything like that. I, I know that that's not what you mean by by wanting more. And Heath, I totally am with you with some of the fight scenes. But as you know. When we talk about horror movies and we love the practicality of some of these these movies that that don't rely too much on CGI, when you can tell that a lot of these fights, sure, you know, the camera speeds up and there is some CGI involved or whatever, but a lot of these fights seemed very stunt stunt oriented and and um, done without the the use of computer generated effects. So that that much I did like at least, you know. And oh, that's. Yeah, that that is like my favorite because you know I, I'd say that's probably my biggest gripe with some of like the. Um, I mean, I, I Grant, don't kill me. Uh, but with some of the the Justice League fights, you know, even with like Diana and stuff, it's like it just looks like a computer game to me. Whereas these look like real people getting hit, and I love that. I love that grittiness of it. And I thought like the fight with um, Yelena in the kitchen area that was so cool. Awesome that scene. Br- yeah, that bridge, that bridge scene. The first time we see Taskmaster, that was awesome. Um, I just wanted more of that, I guess. But uh, yes, I'm totally with you on like the fact that that, that makes it a lot more grounded and like more exciting for me personally. So to, to that point, I'm glad that you brought up DC because that. End oh, are you? Scene, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, basically, it's basically because I wanted to make this reference was uh, that end fight scene in the red room when Drakov calls the rest of like the widows in and it's going to be Natasha versus all of them. I sat at the edge of my seat thinking, am I about to get the, like a better fight scene than the Batman warehouse scene in BVS, which in my personal opinion is the greatest like hand to hand stunt fight scene I've ever seen in my life. That's like, you talk about no computer, all stunt. That's those are all individual stunt. Like that, that fight scene is incredible. And I'm watching yeah, this unfold uh, coordinated in front of by my this eyes. guy, Damon Caro, great, great stunt coordinator. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, as, as that fight scene is starting, I'm, I, I out loud was like, Oh my God, this may be better this may be better than that fight scene as it starts. And it was great. And then I was like, where's Yelena? When's she coming in? When are they going to fight back to back and fight all these guys? Like, this is going to be amazing. And then it just ends. And I was like, okay, big miss there. I I did really like all of the, the practicality in those stunts, how Heath said that bridge scene between Natasha and Taskmaster was phenomenal. Um, I mean, while I'm on the mic, let me just kind of roll here of, I agree that, Taskmaster was my biggest gripe. I I know Marvel. I'm not the most well-versed Marvel person, so I know that there's a lot of depth to the ta- Taskmaster character I don't know, but I always viewed him how the character Deathstroke is in DC. He's an assassin. He can be hired, but he hates these guys. Taskmaster mim- can mimic everyone. He's a little bit arrogant. He has a voice, and they did a... I, I don't mind the fact that it was Drakov's daughter, but the fact that Taskmaster literally has like 10 minutes of screen time, like it, it, that part bugged me where like I get the whole family dynamic and get and having to establish these new characters and these relationships. But like I said, it didn't do it for me. It didn't make me feel for Natasha. If anything, it made me feel for Yelena, which I'm excited we get more. But then she doesn't even get like a big fight scene at the end. She's just kind of almost in the background of the climax. And then to what you were saying, Alex, like the whole doomsday ending that's not the problem I had. I liked the whole red room bringing it down. That whole climax of the movie was, was actually great. And I was pretty satisfied with that. 
my big gripe was the she gets a, like she lets her family escape with the widows and so it's like all right we're gonna get the russian avengers now like this this will be kind of cool she then gets arrested by shield and then it jumps to two weeks later and she's got short blonde hair getting ready to go off into infinity war and i was like so what happened there with general ross how did she get out of it like it just skipped over a thing and i felt that part was a little lazy and so that was my big gripe of just like you you had an opportunity to set her character up for helping Rogers break everyone out of the raft, getting to Infinity War, being undercover, you know, being, you know, running around the world this whole time while everyone's looking for him. And they just didn't do that. The ending to me was just kind of like a little bleh. So that 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 was my big gripe. And honestly, like I I, I won't get I love Olga Kirlenko having a Bond girl in in the MCU is great. When I saw her name in the title credits and then as soon as they mentioned Drakov's daughter i immediately was like she's taskmaster yeah they all think she's dead like i called that a mile away so th- that part was i think a little lackluster um i'm i am glad that she didn't die and i hope that she comes back in a way but like i said the taskmaster that i liked from the comics and the certain video games i've played i thought would have been a lot cooler if the character itself had a little bit more personal ambition rather than just being, you know, a senseless, mind-controlled dead girl. But maybe now, with her being freed, we get that in the future, but who knows? But those those were my biggest gripes out of the, that whole thing. Max, yours? Yeah, I, I mean, Taskmaster w- was top of my list. Uh, he has much more of a personality in, in the comics. And again, it, he or her, it could be whatever. But having it be a silent zombie... Um, that's mind control. A little, a little lame. I, I wanted, I wanted some more villainous personality out of out of that character. Um, but yeah, then also, Scarjo just is flat to me. Uh, you know, we we were watching a, a lot of Scarjo movies this this week, and and she tends to kind of do the same thing in every film. And she's just kind of like a baseline flat. She never gets too high. Maybe other than Marriage Story, Marriage Story, which I think is probably her her best performance, where she kind of she's able to like really chew and 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 have emotions. But even in this movie, throughout, it just she just seems kind of just boring. And 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 maybe that's because she's next to Florence Pugh, who who is like stealing every scene from her. And, and David Harbour, who is just, you know, as we said, he's a ham and he's like really, really going for it. Um, but yeah, she was just, she was just kind of blah. And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the, what kind of choices she was making there. I will say as someone who's never really seen her in, in this universe, pull off an action role. I do think she has the chops to do it. Lucy is a movie that I really like. And then one of like my favorite, most underrated movies from the 2010s, I feel like is under the skin. And even though that's not necessarily an action movie, um, it's more like sci-fi horror. She is asked to do a lot, especially physically in that movie. Physically. Um, yeah. Physically. I think she's very capable of, yeah. of being an action star, but even like in Lucy, like she's very just like, her demeanor. Emotionless. I, I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. Or like Ghost in the Shell too, right? I mean, right, right. She's doing a lot of action in that movie, but again, just like, yeah, her just acting is just very, 
mild. Still, it's very. It feels very theatrical the the entire time. She's she's the same across the board in almost everything I've seen her in. Like they, like it's just she's just very ba- how Max said she's just baseline. It's funny though, because she gets cast in so many different type of genres. I, I do think she has more range than you give her credit for. She might just not be your cup of tea. Yeah, because I mean, I I, I, I I don't disagree with that at all. Like I, as far as like she doesn't necessarily do like huge theatrics, but for this character in particular, I I, I really like like kind of the subtlety of of her personality in it. I mean, I, I think it kind of matches well with like her personal history as like the Natasha's personal history as being like she's gone through a lot, you know, a lot of those times people that have gone through lots of abuse or have traumatic, you know, childhoods, like they're a lot more subdued. Um, And I I think that that, that was a kind of an accurate thing. So I don't, I don't mind her being more quiet and withdrawn um, and more of like a kind of someone that is a a more of an observer um, rather than being boisterous. I don't mind that for Natasha personally. Yeah. She definitely feels like a character that, that is guarded on purpose, that is reserved on purpose. Um, but then, yes, in those moments, I don't know if you want her to be someone like Gal Gadot and and just kicking ass unapologetically and and still looking great while doing so. But but maybe that's just not her forte. I mean, it's hard to be. It, it, it's unfortunate, but it's hard to be, you know, filmed correctly as a female action star. It's hard to be filmed correctly as a male action star. A lot of in a lot of these movies, like you just can't buy it. Maybe that's part of the reason why I'm not a fan of this series and universe really because Robert Downey Jr. to me is one of the best actors of all time. I don't want him in a suit covered up uh, you know, for for 10 years of his career. Um, but I digress. We're not here to just, you know, pick apart <laughs> pick apart the extended universe. Um, just this movie, really. My biggest uh, gripe, I guess, would, would be as just a casual fan that, um, you know, you give a movie like this a stinger, and I knew it was coming because every Marvel movie is has become known for having an after credit, an end credit scene or whatever. So in, in this case, you get a stinger for a film that we already know what comes next on. Right. Like we know what comes next in the timeline. It's Infinity War or whatever you guys are saying, you know, comes next. What happens next after this movie? And so, of course, then in the stinger, it has to be something else. It has to be something new that we haven't seen before. And then it just leads me to, you know, have all these other questions where I'm like, I'm not going to get invested in like another if this goes the route now and i don't want to spoil the singer for anybody but if it goes the route of something like a disney plus tv show which i don't think that florence Pugh would do i'm just like why what's the point in this like why are we introducing these new characters it's a crazy crazy cameo um this new character that we get uh, introduced to and and so i'm just i i'm just kind of left asking why like why do that why give people another limb to try to go out and grow fruit on when when the tree's already very bountiful? I, I kind of felt like we, if there was ever going to be time not to have a stinger, it would have been in a movie like this. Well, guess what? Well, Florence Pugh the... is going to be in a Marvel TV show on Disney Plus. Lordy, <laughs> yeah, she's she obviously she's going to show up in the Hawkeye show. But basically, what it's setting up and what that Hawkeye show did and what the new Falcon and Winter Soldier show did with that Julia Louis Dreyfus character. Spoilers. Is, it is sitting, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, hey, yeah. I mean, we've already seen her. I mean, if if you're like Alex and you don't know, then you're well, you're way behind. Yeah, but, I had no clue. I had no clue. I'm like, what is Elaine yeah. doing in the, in the Marvel universe? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's just it's just setting up because we just wrapped up everything with Endgame, and yes, we do have some characters trickling off into other things. It's setting up the next stage, the next team, which is going to be the West Coast Avengers. They're basically trying to create a new team 
that has almost like a severed connection from everything else for us to get excited about and then hopefully do movies beyond that. If that's going to work or if they're going to stick to TV shows, I don't know. But that's, I mean, from her showing up in that and spoilers for the Falcon and Winter Soldier of where she first shows up of getting U.S. agent and then now probably going to use both of them to go after Hawkeye. You introduce Kate Bishop. You introduce Kid Loki in the Loki show. Like there's going to there's gonna be, there, there's a whole new team coming and I think they're trying to hit the ground running. I personally don't think it's going to work as well, but we'll see. How do you feel about that direction, Heath? Well, I mean, they have people that are that, that have my attention. I mean, Haley Steinfeld is going to be playing Jeremy Renner's like protege character, Kate Bishop. They have um, Florence Pugh, obviously, that's going to be like uh, apparently a, like kind of the antagonist in that show of some sort. Or, you know, we'll see what, what way they frame that. But right off the bat with like those two, I love Haley Steinfeld and I love Florence Pugh. So I'm signed up. Um, and, and like I said earlier, I have nothing to gain from them not doing well you know with, with these directions that they're deciding to take i'm just along for the ride to be honest <laughs> it's a lot of puzzle pieces but i love it <laughs> yeah and you know whether it's the west coast avengers or the thunderbolts under you know who, which is the team that that is under like government control under thunderbolt ross william hurt's character which maybe william hurt is actually going to do more than just five minutes in a hairpiece but I was going to say, I was literally thinking as soon as he came on the screen, David Harbour as well at the beginning. I'm like, I wonder if Max has fine tuned his uh, wig dar. Oh, from, the wig dar from, was going way off. From yeah. Silver screens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. I mean, also Wyatt Russell, you know, as as the uh, what the what is he? American soldier or something like that. U.S. agent. U.S. agent. Um yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because the Thunderbolts are almost kind of like the suicide squad of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where they go. And But again, they have great talent with Wyatt Russell, Haley Steinfeld, and Florence Pugh as like the baseline of this team, I would, I would guess. And I'm sure all these actors and actresses want to be doing this. Their agents certainly want them to be doing this. I just feel like there's a level of, of like – maturity to somebody like Florence Pugh where I would hope that this is, would be just kind of below her but I get that that's not like the she world might, that, she might be a comic book that, nerd that, that we right and that's just the world we live in and I get it I'm all for it I'm all for it but just like some of these names that we're talking about I feel like my preschoolers are coming up with these names <laughs> like the guy's name is really just U.S. Agent yeah. and, and and Thundercats and, and, or what? Thunderbolts? <laughs> Thunderbolts. Okay. The Thunderbolts. Uh, yeah. I'm, I don't know. I don't know. This Lawrence, was, this you was... got a Yelena Belova tattoo after she was done filming, so she's all the way in. Oh, man. It's, it's also weird that they are just kind of recycling the same exact character. Like, U.S. Agent is Captain America. Kate Bishop is Hawkeye. Uh, Yelena is Black Widow. Like... Didn't we just wrap it's, all these all these character stories up? Now we're just going to recycle. But I guess that's what happens in comic books. I don't know. It's, it's honestly second iteration. What, it's it's yeah. honestly what happens in every genre of movies. That's true, and, I guess. Yeah. We're not yeah. done, Max. We have a lot left. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so, so it sounds like we would all definitely recommend at least checking this movie out, whether you're a casual fan like me or an avid fan and figuring out how it fits within the universe for you. Um, as we said, you can check it out in theaters or streaming on 
the Disney Plus service. If you have that, you're willing to pay the $30, um, which honestly, that's like two people going to the movies. So you might as well, uh, you know, if, if you're still not too comfortable going out and seeing movies in the theater yet, do it that way. Um, okay, so before we let Heath go, we have a few other July releases that we kind of all wanted to talk about. The first of which being No Sudden Move. No Sudden Move is written by Ed Sullivan and directed by our guy Steven Soderbergh. Stars Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro uh, as kind of our two principal characters. And then along with a supporting cast of literally everyone. Uh, you, you have people from Julia Fox, uh, most famous for her role in Uncut Gems, uh, playing across from Adam Sandler, to Bill Duke, who is famous from being in Predator movies and things like that. Um, so this film debuted exclusively on HBO Max July 1st. And for the most part, kind of feels like its moment has already passed, which is kind of too bad. However, we felt the need uh, to talk about this release because not only do we love Soderbergh here on the pod, but this is a pretty damn good movie. Uh, Grant, I know you just had a chance to check. The- Max, you and Grant actually both just had a chance to check this out recently. I was there night one for this. I, I, w- I was stoked. I've watched it twice. Uh, so, Grant, what were some of your impressions? Um, I, when this movie came out, I was like, all right, this is on my list. And I just really hadn't had a chance to like, sit down and well, yeah, watch you've it. You've been on vacation. It, you've been on, you're, you're good. Yeah, exa- you're good. You're exactly. Good. Exactly. Um, and I regret not watching it when it dropped at midnight because I absolutely love this movie. There is, I mean, but I have, I literally have one gripe and that is the, the fisheye lens that they use in so like in some scenes and kind of rounding some corners, but Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro give me some of their best performances I've ever seen. Don Cheadle specifically, I think this is my favorite performance of him. Um, it is it is just a brilliant, like, you know, Soderbergh can't do wrong when he does, like, a crime kind of centric thing. I felt like I was watching a 50s Oceans movie yeah, this as is far as, like, the film. banter. Yeah, it, it was, it, I, I cannot stress enough how much I just like this film. Uh, I, I tweeted about how much I love the script, got a chance to have a brief interaction with Ed Solomon, who we hope to have on the show here, you know, in the coming months. Um, he, it, it is, it is brilliant, especially a, a writer who hasn't really done movies. Like, I mean, he did the, now you see me movies, but he's mostly known for Bill and Ted. And so he comes out of nowhere, giving us a Soderbergh excellence. As far as good banter goes, you talk about no small parts. You mentioned Bill Duke, you mentioned, um, I forget her name, but the girl from Uncut Gems, who I immediately recognized, I was like, wow, am I going to not like you in this movie, too? And not like you in a, a way of the, the character, like a brilliant actress, great performance, but I just don't like the character because certain things happen. But I, the 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 buddy, the buddy cop, but as criminals dynamic, I'm a huge fan of. And Don Cheadle and Benicio Del Toro knock it out of the park. And then we're going to talk about David Harbour a lot on this episode, apparently, because he gives a 180 of what he usually gives uh, in his performances. I mean, he is a very reserved, panicky guy and just knocks it out of the park. Uh, Noah uh, Lube, Jupe, 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 Noah Jupe. I, we've talked about few and far between good kid actors. And this guy just keep this kid keeps shining in everything he's in. Whether it's the other HBO show uh, that he was in with Hugh Grant um, to A Quiet Place, and then now this, The Kids on a Roll. I love this movie. I've watched it twice now since watching it for the first time yesterday. Basically did it back-to-back just because I was so enthralled. Uh, And then uh, the biggest thing for me is Soderbergh and David Holmes teaming up again. You talk about having an Ocean's feel to it. 
that soundtrack just fits so perfectly. And Soderbergh did a great job of kind of captivating the 50s, the radio sounds you hear in the back, um, the, the, the lingo, the, the way they talk, the amount of money that's being dealt. And then you talk about no small parts, no spoilers, but a, uh, a big Soderbergh name comes back uh, it, it later on. And if he's the worst part of the movie, that performance is the worst part, then that's a solid flick right there. So I absolutely loved it. Yeah, uh, the cars, especially too, for a film set in Detroit that's all about this this kind of like secretive new um, you know automotive part, these blueprints to a part that's being made. You had to nail the cars, and and this is a movie that basically takes place in rooms and in cars, and and you love that because in 2021 we don't get a lot of what feel like original stories that are basically just people talking. And so that goes back to what you were saying with the script um, and the performances of the actors delivering that script. And then much like in Black Widow, where you had some actors pop in um, that at least I wasn't aware of were going to be in the movie, this film has a great, and it's by your boy who's who's making a, a late, late run in his career of being like that guy who you don't see in the credits. And then he comes in hot. Uh, but, but Matt Damon, I don't, I'm sorry for spoiling it, but I just got to give him a shout what? out because what a, what a part for just five minutes. It's so awesome. Yeah. Um, and like I said, like I said, he's like, in my personal opinion was the, the worst performance and not saying he had a bad performance. I'm saying if he's the worst, then, you know, it's uh, just a goddamn clean sweep. Um, before we get to Max Heath, have you had a chance to check this movie out? No, but I've seen you all talking about it on Twitter. So okay. I added it to my, up to my queue, uh, last night on my HBO account. So awesome. that'll be, yeah, very soon. Yeah. And, and like, like Grant said, the fisheye lens, it may have you wanting to like check your, your TV settings for, for a minute and, and see if you have some sort of weird picture thing going on. You don't, it's just a choice. It's, it's a, it's a Soderberghian choice, well, but, it's, cause but it, it's a good one. It, this thing was filmed on an iPhone, right? I, I I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure I read that 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 the movie was, wow. was filmed on an iPhone like he did with High Flying Insane. Insane, yeah. And yeah. High Flying Bird too, right? I I don't know. I have not seen High Flying Bird yet. Oh. Wow. Well, yeah. No, uh yeah, this is a great it's a great crime movie. And talk about the Marvel connections. You got Don Cheadle, Benicio del Toro, David Harbour, Matt Damon. I mean, lots of Marvel kids in there. Um, <laughs> which is great to see that they can do the big Marvel stuff, but then also do a, a... well, they were doing the they were doing the cool stuff before the Marvel stuff. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But it's good. I to... had, to, I had to think about it for a second, Matt Damon and Marvel. And then I was like, Oh, he has, okay. Yeah. yeah. He is in that small part in Thor, but well, and he's coming back for the next one. Love and Thunder. Is he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, great, great crime movie. One that made you, you know, kept you guessing throughout. Like you said, Don Cheadle gives, uh, you're, I think you're right. I, I mean, apart from like maybe traffic, like one of his greatest performances. Um, I don't know how he gets his voice to do. I was going to say his What voice. he does. Yeah. Um, Mind blowing. Uh, and he... He is such an underrated actor, Don Cheadle. At this point, it, it, it's so weird because he's been around forever. I forget who it is, but there's somebody. Uh, I believe they're on the Ringer on the on the staff over at the Ringer, and they said at any given time, Don Cheadle's one of the five coolest people on this planet. Absolutely, and, and that that quote has just always stuck with me, and I think it, <laughs> it's so true. Um, 
Yeah, so so he's great. Let's kind of talk about the, the sort of twist-ish ending of this movie and, and what really happens because I do think it is a film. And Heath, this will be really good for you to hear. If you're watching it and you're like, you know, if you're a buck 20 into it and you're like, all right, I've been watching this for 80 minutes. I, I got 30 minutes to go and I don't really know where this story's headed. Once you get introduced to the Matt Damon character, he does do a bit of an expo dump and kind of let you know what mm-hmm. what has been going on. Uh, if, if anything has been sort of tricky to follow it. And I think it is tricky to follow almost on purpose uh, there for a minute because you are, as one of these characters, confused on who the bad guy is, where's the heat coming from, uh, and things of that nature. So I do really and like what that. It is, Go ahead. And what it, and what it is they're stealing. I mean, right. not to not to not especially not to ruin for Heath, but for the listeners, just because that is a huge part. It goes back to what Max. I, I'll always bring this up of what Max says about there will be blood. This should not be interesting. <laughs> it honestly it should shouldn't. Not, it honestly should. It shouldn't be this captivating. But then when you find out what it is, you're like, this is this is what they're after, and then that expo dump and that roll into that final kind of like end twist. And then the, the fact sheet at the end as you know, gives you kind of a, a look into what the future held is just, it's insanely captivating and it has no reason or business to be as good as it is. Also one last shout out to, to the monster that ate Brendan Fraser. Oh wow. And then yes. morphed his face onto him. him. I can't believe I forgot him. <laughs> Another guy that does some great voice work in this movie. Um, and maybe that, maybe that is just the way he talks now with, with all those extra LBs. But my goodness, he is a big <laughs> boy so. now. Yeah. yeah. Mummy four is not happening. <laughs> he, he stole the screen for me. Anytime he was on, he Same. stole the show for me. Same. So with he's me. prepping for that next day, 24 film that he's supposed to be heavy set in. Right. Oh, that's correct. Yeah. 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 I'm sure that, yeah, these were probably filmed around the same time. He's, the he's title is literally the whale. So yeah, <laughs> it is. That's right. That's right. And, and him doing voice work on Doom Patrol and other things. I mean, like he's making a resurgence and I'm so happy to see it because I've always loved the guy. Yeah. Uh, somebody <laughs> somebody who we kind of just talked about on uh, Max's, one of his perfect movies in The Mummy, mm-hmm. where we said that, you know, he's the perfect guy for a film like that. It will be cool now to see if he has this this late period kind of comeback and and becomes more of a character actor than, than a, the leading man than I think we all kind of know him as, um, at least from movies like in the 90s and the early 2000s. Uh, okay, so then the next film that we're going to talk about is one that I know Heath has seen, um, and that is Zola. Zola is written by uh, Jeremy O'Harris and the director, Jansica Bravo, and then it's based on the tweets from Azia King, uh, that being Zola. And so, yeah, and then, yeah, like I said, directed by Jansica Bravo, stars Taylor Page and Riley Keough. This movie actually came out at uh, Sundance in 2020, but didn't receive a release here um, because of the pandemic until June 30th of this year, 2021. So I've seen this movie twice now. For me, it is my favorite movie thus far of 2021. I, I just love the shit out of this movie. Um, Heath, it has totally grown. I told you that after um, you know seeing it once, I couldn't wait to see it again because I knew I would like it better. I don't know how it's kind of like stayed in your mind or how it's resonated with you. But I mean, this movie is like taking over my dialogue. I just think about the different lines and the music and the soundtrack and everything. So, so let me just stop talking and let you start talking because I could go on and on and on about this movie. So, you know, what's funny is that it does have like this, like seeping effect where like, you know, I finished it and I was like, okay. And then all of a sudden, like I'm thinking about it more. I'm like revisiting scenes and, and, and it does have that kind of power over it where you're like, 
well yeah actually that was that was really great um and i i haven't gotten a chance to see it again yet but um i do remember specifically <laughs> reading all these tweets as they were happening back in i think 2014 or 15, 15 or, yeah and i don't know if any, anyone else did but i was like totally hooked by that entire story uh my friend and i just were like go, going back and forth as they were like you know being live tweeted um you know like the day or, or two after they happened and it, it so it's so so fascinating to revisit and like see it all happening and in, in, um you know in a visual sense um and and so it has been enough time where like i didn't remember you know all the little details so it did feel fresh and like completely original and, and I, had, I had such a good time so i had i had not read the tweets but after my second viewing uh went back and read i believe it's like 148 tweets in total um that that the character of zola azia king just went off on twitter um and and it will be very interesting now because to adapt a movie from Twitter is now like and, and it and the movie itself feels like I don't know if you agree with me on this Heath but it feels like a, a, the most frenetic like coke induced Instagram story or or Snapchat story that I've ever seen. Yeah, it has some of like that that ang- anxious tension that like uncut gems has. Absolutely. But but less um movie feel like it really does feel sporadic like you were like might send off a tweet that you probably will regret in a few minutes yep. you know that's the energy I, i'm getting from that one i i think that it's it, and it was a perfect film to be distributed uh by a24 for exactly what you just said it it has that that crazy crazy tension of uh a movie like good time or uncut gems, or it pairs perfectly with with Spring Breakers, and it actually made me even go back and revisit Spring Breakers, um, just because, like, hello, Florida, and 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 Florida can be such a good character in some movies. A, a filmmaker who I love, who who hasn't really done much. I don't know if he's just kind of like retired from movie making or what, but I would be very interested. The guy's name is Larry Clark. I talked about his movies a few times on this podcast. Kids and Bully, Bully especially, which is a really dark story about just kind of like life in Florida. And this movie, not that it had to take place in Florida, but you know, just the the underbelly of the world of exotic dancing and basically of of trapping and sex trafficking and things like that. We haven't gotten, at least on this scale, I feel like a, a good wide release story in a long, long, long time. Um, and so I, I think that this is a very important movie, a, a very fun movie still, but a movie that when you see it in a theater, I'd be very uh, interested in into what your experience was like, Heath, because I like didn't feel comfortable laughing at some parts that other people were laughing at because of the tension. What was your theater experience like? Well, you know, same same kind of thing where like it's kind of like almost like an emotional like maturity thing where like where you're really checking yourself as far as like what things are supposed to be humorous and like what things are actually really concerning for these characters. You know, and there is a difference between um, things that are just like on the fly funny and then things that you're like this is actually maybe. A, problem uh, problematic so um i think my my theater there was pretty um i'd say there there was maybe 10 of us in there and i think everyone was kind of on the same page i didn't have any like uncomfortable moments really um i felt felt like it was all very reactionary but all kind of in the same um stride and and i feel like the director janzica bravo does a really good job of of making some of the more intense parts feel kind of lighthearted, like especially when the riley keogh character really starts trapping um 
it, because that is a part where it can get uncomfortable. And I kind of had some awkward laughs between couples who I think went on, you know, a date night expecting some <laughs> kind of like fun crime stripper story. And they ended up getting this really dark, twisted tale um, comprised from a bunch of tweets. And and but the direction in this movie is phenomenal. Some of the shots are, are crazy. I don't know if you noticed, it's just kind of like the absence of sound in, in certain scenes where you would just get like just a basketball bouncing or just some other sounds where where you don't really hear what's actually happening on the screen. Um, just just a movie that I, I'm going to buy as soon as it's out and revisit over and over. Max or Grant, I don't know if either of you guys have had a chance to watch this yet. I have not, but I, I smell a uh, stop on next year's road trip and uh, th- that's going to be Florida. Oh, yes. Definitely. Um, and, and for as long as this is in theaters, I would love, especially if it's still playing at the Grand maybe next week or something, and we have nothing to do on like a, a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or something, that, that we could all go out and, and check this movie out. Because I think it is surprisingly a really good movie theater movie. Like the soundtrack and, and some of the visuals just deserve to be seen on the big screen, be heard on the big screen. Uh, so, yeah, highly, highly recommend Zola. Um, do you think that the Florida Project Spring Breakers and Zola – all take place in the same universe, the same timeline, the same universe. I don't know. I'd like to think so, <laughs> especially especially uh, Spring Breakers and Zola. I would love if James Franco's character and um, I, I believe our guy um, Domingo. Yeah, 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 yeah. If if they could be, if they could be, um, you know, part of the same pimp lineage or something like that, that <laughs> that, that that would make that would make for a fun story. Um, okay, well, Heath, it's always a joy to have you come on the podcast. We're going to say goodbye for now before we take a quick break and continue with the rest of this episode. Uh, but there is a film releasing at the end of this month from a studio that we just talked about that we're all very fond of and that we're all very excited to see, which I think begs your swift return to the show. So hopefully you've enjoyed your time here with us today and we will be talking to you again very, very soon. Yes. Otherwise I'd be banging on the outside of you as a studio (laughs) (laughs) begging to get in. So yes, I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Love talking about female heroes. I'll be back anytime you want me. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so before we talk about some other July releases and some movie news, let's pause and hear from one of our partners. This episode of Excuse the Intermission is presented in partnership with Friday Night Frights. Hosted at the historic Blue Mouse Theater in the beautiful Proctor District, Friday Night Frights is Tacoma's one and only go-to horror film series. This beloved, long-standing monthly tradition for horror fanatics is thrilled to make its triumphant return this Friday, July 16th, with Dreamscape. A young psychic on the run from himself is recruited by a government agency experimenting with the use of dream-sharing technology and is given the inverse task of planting an idea into the mind of the U.S. president. Friday Night Frights is committed to providing their signature visceral theater-going experience in a safe and engaging fashion. Tickets are available exclusively at the Blue Mouse Theater box office the night of the screening, so be sure to arrive early to secure your place in line and don't miss the pre-show trivia along with your chance to purchase an exclusive movie poster from a local artist. The folks at the Blue Mouse Theater and Friday Night Frights are delighted to welcome you back, so get your friends together and get ready to scream. The Blue Mouse Theater is located at 2611 North Proctor Street in Tacoma, Washington. You can find Friday Night Frights online at www.facebook.com backslash Friday Night Frights Tacoma and on Instagram at Friday underscore night underscore frights for more information. 
Okay, so we're back, and we actually lost two of our co-hosts in, in the break. Uh, Dropping Grant, like flies. Yeah, Grant Grant got uh, chased out of out of the park that he was recording in by an angry rooster, and, <laughs> and so he had to go. Well, well, to be fair, it was it was a mutant angry rooster that had been uh, combined with Zod's DNA. Ah, uh, gotcha. Didn't CGI. want the Howley. Yeah, he's tired of the Howley sitting monster. on his tree. Yeah. Um, but no, it was it was great having Heath come on, and and Grant has been great joining us, you know, for the last two episodes Absolutely. while on vacation in Hawaii. I cannot say that I would be doing the same uh, when I go on vacation in <laughs> August. You guys are doing episodes by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we want to wrap this episode by just talking about uh, some quick movie news, upcoming releases for the rest of the month of July, and then a couple movies that are in production or have wrapped production that we're excited for. Um, so we'll start with the Cannes Film Festival. Our guy, this is maybe easier to talk about now that Grant isn't here because our guy, Max Spike Lee, um, is in his first year of president as the can juror um, of the can jury. And, you know, it's been he's talked about how it's been a pretty challenging experience for him. I mean, as president of the jury, you are responsible for seeing all 24 films. That's how many there are, at least this year. And yeah. um, just under a two week span, I believe that the festival is 10, 10 days this year. And so, and you know, on top of all the parties and and the social, press. yeah, press and all the socializing that you have to do, um, you know, it can be a, a daunting task. Well, uh, there there was just an article written in the New York Times about what Spike's been doing to kind of like stay stay on his feet and and um, you know give it his all and. Should surprise no one who knows Spike Lee. He's been just watching a bunch of sports in in the in his downtime. Um, he was big on the Euro Finals and soccer. Been watching that with some of his other jurors, and then of course he's watching the NBA Finals and and trying to keep up to date with that. Yeah, and we've seen pictures of him like sitting in front of a huge screen. Yes, ha- you know, like put the sports on. <laughs> yeah. Um. So that just cracks me up. I love that Spike is just continuing to be unapologetically himself. I mean, he is the president of the biggest international film festival in the world. And yet he is like he has these Virgil Abloh um, designed pants who's like the, the, you know, one of the biggest fashion designers in the world right now that just have the NBA logo over and over and over and over. And he's hitting the red carpet in that. Um, and so, yeah, you, you just love to see it from our guy Spike. He's doing his thing. Uh, but then to the movies that have actually uh, been released, we're going to talk about three of them here that we're pretty excited for. The French Dispatch being the first of of which Wes Anderson's new movie they just debuted a couple days ago and got a nine minute standing ovation. Wes Anderson, one of our greats. I will stand by it till I die. The Royal Tenenbaums is excellent. <laughs> and that starts the, the the run of perfect films that he makes. I mean, just we love Wes, or at least I love Wes. I, I love his aesthetic. I love his, his writing, his shots, his use of miniatures. Uh, I am so, so excited for The French Dispatch, one of my like most antis- anticipated films this year. Absolutely. Uh, the cast, if you don't know, it's got people like Tilda Swinton, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, it goes on and on and on and on. Um, and so, yeah, we're all we're very excited for that movie. Um, and, and yes, it's been a long time since we've had a West film. And so so this is the last one was what? Isles, Isle of Dogs? Isle of Dogs, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, to, to even put on top of that a live action Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. It's been even longer. Uh, so, so we're really excited for that. And especially coming off a nine minute standing ovation um, where the, the audience and the jury at Cannes can is notorious for being pretty snooty um, at times. When do the awards come out for Cannes? Uh, the Palme d'Or and things like that will be announced probably 
probably by next week's episode. Okay. So we can probably talk about that then. Cool. Um, so yeah, uh, because yeah, I, I look very much forward. This is, this was a very interesting year at Cannes where you had a lot of foreign and French international films mm. being released, but then you had big American directors, um, having their movies because of, you know, the cancellation of this film festival last year, uh, debuting their movies here too. So you did have a bit more of a, a I won't, wouldn't say necessarily, necessarily like a blockbuster sense to to the festival this year but definitely more americanized than than it's yeah, ever bigger been films than than the usual indie absolutely slate that they absolutely have. uh so the next one that we're going to talk about comes from a24 they've already um snatched this movie up and secured the distribution rights but it's called after yang and that has been receiving great reviews as well after Yang is a science fiction drama about a man played by Colin Farrell, another person who we like to see kind of have a little renaissance here, kind of started with Killing of a Sacred Deer, another A24 film a couple years ago, who is extracting the memory of a malfunctioning robot clip by clip. Sign me up. A- absolutely. <laughs> so so we always have kind of talked about like we love movies within a movie and things like that or whatever. So this necessar- isn't necessarily that, but it's it's him and his daughter who who is kind of watching um, this robot's life and where – you know, the, the malfunctioning uh, occurred and what happened. And so he is in a sense, kind of watching these, these short clips, um, a movie, if you would, in time, it's from a, a up and coming, um, South Korean filmmaker. And so, you know, we've talked about how Bong Joon-ho and everything that he's been able to pull off within the last decade has really kind of opened the door to international cinema and, and people being willing to work with up and coming foreign film, uh, or foreign, foreign directors. So I'm really excited for this movie as well. Um, I think that'll be great. I, I hope. I hope that he has to pull film out of the robot and do a little blowout. You know. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Clip, clip some stuff to clip together and write on, with the sharpie and like line it up with sound. That would be amazing. That would be. That would be. <laughs> Shout out to blowout right now too. Yeah, four, Forty years yep. old. Yep. Uh, and then Annette will will be the last one that we talk about here just briefly. A movie that we've talked about quite a bit on this podcast. This opened the uh, Cannes Film Festival this year, and with its 141 or 40 minute runtime, was a bit polarizing. I guess with some audiences being asked to sit for two hours and 20 minutes. Of course, comes with you know its own troubles. Um, if if the movie isn't for you, and uh, this movie, it it does sort of seem that it, it may not be. However, everyone is in agreement that Adam Driver. I, I keep reading that it's his best performance, which is crazy. The fact that he can be still delivering, you know, performances that that receive that sort of hyperbole, um, and that may not actually be hyperbolic. That this could be Adam Driver's best performance is just crazy, and especially in sort of this. The more and more I'm reading about this, this is like a deranged sort of musical. This isn't like La La Land or something like that. Um, so that so that'll be very interesting. This is a movie that we'll definitely have to touch on. Maybe bring, bring Maddie back on mm, to, yeah. to hear her take on on a musical of this sort. Uh, so those are our big big movies from Cannes that we're looking forward to. I'm sure there'll be a lot more that we hear about that get picked up. I do know the distribution um, and, and the securing of rights has been a bit different this year because some studios are you know not as willing to put money into some of these smaller films, whereas mm-hmm. in the past, just being at Sundance or not Sundance, excuse me, but Cannes alone would be enough to to pick up distribution rights. But because of the market and where everything is, streaming, as we've talked about earlier on this episode, being such a big key uh, factor in how a movie is seen nowadays, the bigger studios just aren't spending as much money yet. So it'll be interesting to see where some of these films end up. Obviously, movies like The French Dispatch will get in a wide release and will be, you know, welcoming. I think that comes out Christmas. Of Most this year. of them will most definitely be 
at the Grand Cinema, our friends at the Grand Cinema. That is true. That's true. Here in Tacoma. You can look forward to that. Absolutely. Um, okay, so now a couple more popular uh, household name type releases that are coming out uh, later on this month in the month of July um, are – I have four here that I'm going to talk about. Um, the first off being Green Knight, The Green Knight. We have been anticipating this movie for about a year now. I feel like basically ever since we started this podcast is when we at least knew about this this movie. And, and seeing Zola twice in the last week, another A24 film, I have had to do – the facepalm and <laughs> and la 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 so that I don't see any clips or hear any um, sound bites from this movie because I've done such a good job of avoiding, you know, teaser trailers, theatrical trailers, TV spots that are starting to roll out now. And and so if you have seen some and you want to talk about what you're excited for. I know we all love Dev Patel, another person who is on our 31 under 31 list. Um, but this is a movie and, and, you know, there's huge cardboard cutouts at the movie theaters for it. Now, they're really pushing this as kind of being the next in the line, I think, of like A24's, you know, history of The Witch and The Lighthouse and Hereditary and Midsommar, things like that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a fantastical period piece horror film. Yeah, we love Nights. Uh, we love, you know, all that kind of... Uh, mid-century look and feel and you know i don't want again you haven't seen any of the trailers i don't want to spoil anything but like dev patel welcome welcome to the game of dev patel everyone is going to know his name after this film i think uh and i i just i can't wait for it well i i really hope that this maybe becomes his signature movie whereas i think a lot of people will see it and say like that's the kid from slumdog or something like that which no shade to Slumdog Millionaire, a movie that I believe won Best Picture back in 2008 uh, and, and that was like Danny Boyle's big moment. I think he won Best Director for that as well. And so, you know, no shade to that movie or Dev Patel's performance in that. But he was a kid. He was a yeah. baby in that movie. And this is his kind of, you know, re-coming out party. Hotel Mumbai, which for what it's worth, starring against or opposite Army Hammer in a film nowadays. Um, you know, th- that is what it is. But Hotel Mumbai, a very good movie that came out a couple of years ago um, that I think kind of reannounced him. But yes, I-, I agree that this will probably be the one that really puts him back on the map uh, and that we may start to see, you know, a run of his throughout his 30s because he is still, I think, 30, 31 years old as well. He was, yeah, um, t- towards the older end of our of our mm-hmm. qualifying ages on our list. But still, another guy who we would love to see kind of uh, make a run back to the Oscars. Uh, the next one is old. And now talk about somebody who needs to make a career resurgence. I, I guess that the Glass movies kind of put M. Night back back in the con- the public's mind. M. Night's so weird. He Because, like, I, I just recently rewatched – actually watched for the first time the visit have you ever seen that I have movie not, no i think it's like a 2016 2017 m night movie and and man what a what a cool film like you know, i do know that there's footage. some people that are like hey the visit is maybe actually one of his best the visit is excellent and then split was really really good glass again was a big miss uh, and, and, you know, I think before the visit, you know, we were still living in the happening time and uh, lady in the water lady and, in stuff, the water like that. and yeah. stuff like that. So he's hot and cold and we'll have to see. I mean, 
You never know with this guy. Kind of like his movies. You never know what's going on either. Honestly. Um, but – and this is a movie that I've – you know, when I knew that he was coming out with a new film, I was like, okay, it, it has to be rooted somewhat in horror. And so those are the movies that I try to avoid trailers and, and seeing spoilers of. But, you know, this has so many TV spots now. I'm watching the NBA Finals and it's on all the time. And so I do know at least that, um, you know, it, it's going to check some boxes for me. It, it's kind of like an all-in-one location movie. It seems like they're on this beach. And and that at this beach, something can happen to you where you come face-to-face with a doppelganger of sorts. And so that's another big box for me. Check yep. um, with the doppelgangers. And then a, a guy who I think we all are big fans of seems to be kind of maybe one of the main stars, Alex Wolf. Who, who played the son in Hereditary, is in this movie, and I really like him. He himself um, is is directing a film later this year. He's in another movie um, that I just saw a trailer for called Pig mm. with Nicolas Cage, which mm, yeah. is going to be a very, very interesting movie. Um, but so, yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm on board with Old. I don't know if I'll be rushing out to the theater to see it. Um, but, but We're def- going to watch it. Yeah, definitely one sure. that we're going to watch. Um, and now to get to kind of the more fun, hokey, but but what you want from a summer release type of movie. These are the next movies here that we're going to talk about. Jungle Cruise from Disney. However, we're getting a PG-13 Disney movie, at least, live action, with somebody like The Rock at the center of it. And I don't think that this is going to be The Rock performance that we've been begging for. I don't think it's going to be a return to, like, Fast Five, mm. The Rock. But when you think about somebody who is so charismatic and so well-liked, I don't think that he's really had his big movie yet i mean you could say you know going back to a movie like gridiron gang almost seems to be like where he's shown the most range where he's Mm -hmm. been able to do the most on screen but he still kind of felt like wrestler turned actor then he's just he's a he's an action figure i mean literally like a walking talking action figure yeah (laughs) um but but you know what i mean because i think that like him in the fast movies or or even him um Oh, I'm, I'm forgetting the one other movie that that he was. Oh, um, Jumanji mm-hmm. with with Kevin Hart. When he gets into these franchises, he still just feels. And I don't think he's ever gonna. You know, he's never gonna transcend a performance where you're gonna forget that you're watching Dwayne Johnson in a movie. However, I do think that he has it in him somewhere. The guy's just too much of a performer to kind of not have that one signature role that that he will start to get taken serious for. Almost like you know, it's a weird comparison, especially body types, but like almost like an Adam Sandler and Uncut Gem where finally he had his movie where you were like, wow, never would have thought to cast you in this role. But I think it's going to take a director seeing maybe a movie like Jungle Cruise and seeing what he can do in something like this to say, I'm willing now to give you a shot is like, you know, the disgruntled cop that goes dirty in, mm. in a movie or something like that. I don't know if he could pull that off, but but I think a movie like this is at least a move in the right direction for him. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be a huge temple uh, summer blockbuster. It's, you know, Disney has done this before with Pirates of the Caribbean. Now they're taking another ride and doing Jungle Cruise. Uh, I think I was saying off air, it's kind of like, you know, 1999's The the Mummy, but in a jungle. Yeah, uh, or, or even like Peter Jackson's King Kong, where you're yeah. going to just get so many different creatures and, and adventure and hokey lines and things like that. Yeah, I'm, but I'm it's hope, summertime. I'm, I'm hoping for a fun, a fun thrill ride. Absolutely. And and the year of Emily Blunt continues. She's the female lead in this movie. And so and so we love we love Emily Blunt. Uh the more action roles that she can get and the more that she can build her resume to be our female James Bond one day, maybe. Mm, I hope so. Sign me up. Um and so then now to to really um, you know, lean in to the summer blockbuster and the family fun nature. 
this will probably be the only time that we talk about this movie on the podcast, um, just because it's not really our our cup of tea. Uh, but it's it's Space Jam: A New Legacy, and this movie has been I feel like talked about for years and years. Um, Kevin Durant, I believe, at one point was was slated to to be in this movie um, as like the main basketball player. And then it went back to LeBron. Maybe it started with LeBron, went to KD, and now it's LeBron again. Um, but but it just makes so much sense. We've seen LeBron act in movies like Trainwreck before. So we know that he has some acting chops playing alongside the Looney Tunes, of course. If Michael Jordan could do it, I, you know, somebody who had real no or no real experience being on screen as an actor. I, I think that this franchise, this this reboot of the franchise is probably safe with LeBron. Yeah, it's so interesting how LeBron like wants to mirror Michael Jordan so bad to the fact where he is doing almost the exact same movie that Michael Jordan did in the 90s. Yeah. It's insane. And yeah, and we know LeBron has been in movies before, at least in Trainwreck. It'll be interesting also to see if he actually tries to do the whole athlete becomes an actor, Jim Brown route, OJ Simpson route. Um, uh, But yeah, I, I don't know. LeBron... We'll see. LeBron, uh, and I know this isn't a sports podcast, but this year he's really bugged me. He just loves, loves to be in the spotlight. And how is he going to handle that when he finally retires? Well, he's probably going to become an actor. Probably. Uh, he is somebody who I don't think, and, and you know my my stance on LeBron, and yes, not to turn this into a sports podcast, but just never really been a fan of the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I do think that his ego is a big part of that. And so I don't think that he would f- feel fulfilled enough being relegated just to like joining the TNT crew and being on TV once a week every Thursday and having to share airtime with somebody like Charles Barkley or somebody like that or or, or joining, you know, uh, any broadcasting team, really. I think that he he feels that he needs to be billboard, marquee, jumbotron level uh, for the rest of his life, basically. And one day there will be talk about him in movies. One day there will be a fascinating. I know there already has been a few, but documentaries about this guy's life, because from the age of probably 15, 16, he has been a jumbotron figure. Yeah. Um, and so, but this is cool. I mean, I think that everyone who listens to this podcast probably knows now that I'm a, I'm a preschool teacher. And so it's fun just to hear all my kids talking about a space jam movie, because at the time of the first space jam coming out, I was around the same age, five, six, seven years old. And so to, to know that at least basketball is, is reentering the lives of a lot of kids or entering the lives of kids for the first time, you know, they're talking about the happy meal toys that they have with, with Taz and a basketball and things like that. And so that, that part of it is really cool. Um, you know, Space Jam, I don't know exactly what your relationship was to it growing up, but I had like posters on the wall. I had the commemorative stuff, um, you know, that went along with the release yeah, the of the movie. cards and all that. A- absolutely. Um, so, so I do have, um, you know, I-, I wish nothing, but I have nothing but the best intentions. I wish this movie well. I- I'm sure it'll do a lot um, of box office numbers because of the the family appeal to it and everything. But this would be a movie where like I would be so interested if we could somehow quantify how many people watched this on HBO Max the day of its release or the weekend of its release. Yeah. Uh, I, I am also happy to see the Looney Tunes come back into the consciousness because Looney Tunes, at least I think for our age range, was such a huge thing for like Saturday morning cartoons. Big time. I think that and, that's and a really important return. I don't think they really exist anymore. 
uh, unless you're going on YouTube and watching like a supercut of like two hours of them. Right, right. Unless you are showing your kids, if you're making an effort to show your kids the Looney Tunes, your kids are watching Paw Patrol and all these other shows and stuff like that and just being lost in, in the Netflix algorithm of, of cartoon entertainment. <laughs> and so it is fun to have people like Daffy Duck, yeah, Bugs Bunny, Taz, Elmer. And, and Elmer, yeah, and all those guys kind of back in in the, you know, we always talk about our zeitgeist, but in the kids' zeitgeist, you know, like in their in their Paw mind. Paw Patrol. Did you see the uh, episode of Paw Patrol where they do the drug the drug raid? Oh no! What's Ryder? A bunch of puppies sorting cocaine. Just what's Ryder got his team of pups up to? Jeez. Um, okay, so so that does it for some of our uh, upcoming July releases. Space Jam. Being the most uh, prominent, that'll the day of this release come out at midnight. Um, so that'll hit theaters this weekend. Like I said, it'll be interesting to see what that does. Uh, you have a couple others that you want to touch on. So in August, Netflix uh, has a new movie coming out called Beckett, uh, which stars John David Washington and Alicia Vikander. Um, I'm 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 excited to see what John David Washington does in this. It, it does seem like another kind of spy thriller, or at least a maybe not spy, but like thriller. A uh, movie where he is he's stuck in some foreign country um, and, and a lot of people are after him. Uh, another good action movie might might get into a little bit of, of the garbage crime. Um, maybe I, we'll, we'll see. But uh, excited to, to see what he does after coming off Tenet, you know, last year and, and being this big action star. If he can continue that streak. Well, and especially to, I think that he has to understand being Denzel's son, that it's okay to lean in to some projects that may not be like not every movie. Denzel, I think had a very, and still does, but a a very special awareness of not every movie is going to be glory or training day or fences even more recently. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it, not only is it fun, but I think that people want some out of times and some man on fires and things like that in their life. So, so yeah, this may fall into that category for him. And then speaking of garbage crime, this will be a new garbage crime movie for us. Uh, first off, it's called Cocaine Bear. Okay. And speaking of cuddly animals doing cocaine, <laughs> um, but it's starring Carrie Russell, Ray Liotta. Uh, it's directed by Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks. It also has Alden Enric in it. Uh, O'Shea Jackson is yes, going to be yeah. in it. I have seen trailers for this. Uh, I'm I'm pretty excited for this, and 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 just to see uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are also two of the producers on it. Uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Banks. You know, take it or leave it. She's done some good stuff. She's done some bad stuff. But I'm excited to see Ray Liotta at least, and and Carrie Russell as well uh, come in and do like a. Like a gritty crime drama. Uh, very excited for that. Ray so. Liotta, somebody who we didn't give his proper dues during the No Sudden Moves That's segment. That's true. He's in that too. Yeah. And he has just about, just like everyone in that movie, just a great 15, 20 minutes on screen. Yeah. Right. Uh, one that I think uh, Grant will, will really appreciate. Uh, there's going to be a new reimagining of The Christmas Carol. Uh, coming out this December, starring uh, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. Oh wow, those are his boys. <laughs> uh, Maybe not so much Will Ferrell. I, I I'm actually excited for these these two to to be in a comedy together. You know, I I think they're going to play off each other really well. 
Ryan Reynolds, I can kind of watch in anything. I mean, he we all kind of know that he plays kind of the same guy, but and and Will Ferrell kind of does the same thing as well. Um, so hopefully that. What's our basic premise on this? Who is there a ghost of? Is is one of them uh, the ghost of Christmas past? Or? Uh, so Will Ferrell is the ghost of Christmas present. Okay. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is is some you know he's our, corporate douchebag yeah, or whatever yeah, that has to go yeah. on a on a on a journey, and I guess it's also going to be a bit of a musical. So we're going to get some singing from these two, wow, which is okay. also going to be very interesting. Talk about the year of the musical. No kidding. It continues. Wow. That and genre. last through the year, it sounds yeah, like. It's yeah. making a huge comeback. But uh, yeah, Ryan Reynolds just kind of sent out a really funny screen grab uh, this week. And so, so I'm, I'm excited to see how that goes. You know, they, they want it to be – I've been reading that they want it to kind of be like – you know, Scrooge and Muppets Christmas Carol up there with those as mm-hmm. far as a, a rendition holiday class of the Charles Dixon. Yeah. So yeah. Eyes Christmas wide shut, things like that. Yeah. 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 Things like that. <laughs> a wonderful life. Uh, <laughs> Hello. Uh, and then finally Fangoria, you know, the horror magazine. Yeah. They have put together a movie studio. Okay. Uh, they have financed the movie studio and they have just announced their first feature film that they're starting. Um, and this could be a total miss. It could be a total hit. Uh, it could be like a weird, like B movie classic. It's called Satoria. Uh, and it is a story about a half, a supernatural half man, half tiger, um, and horror movie, obviously, but monster movie, uh, practical effects. They say are, are, is like the way they're going. Like they're, they're trying not to use any CGI, uh, real, uh, filming locations, so very, very excited to see what this new studio can wow, do. yeah. And especially, I mean, you know, I, I double dip on podcasts, so I'm, I'm really excited for hopefully uh, over on Silver Screams we can we can really dive into this movie. Um, but I, I don't know when it's coming out. I think I, probably another year, I would guess, because I think it just got announced. But again, very excited for practical effects, a new horror film, and a new a new monster, right? Like it, when's the last time we had like a real classic monster a half man half tiger that just sounds insane Love and it. and and i'm sure that you know a little bit of the premise um you know is coming from or, or a thought of the premise is coming from like the classic or, or the classic universal monsters exactly, and, and yeah. things like that fangoria is not going to stray too far from from what they know horror audiences want so so i do try yeah i trust them in that in that yeah. regard that'll be very interesting and and really exciting that they have their own movie studio and like this could be the start of a new you know, horror studio, much like, you know, Blumhouse was, Mm -hmm. you know, 15 years Mm -hmm. ago or whatever. That's really cool. Um, Okay. And then there's one, one film left here to talk about. Obviously, you know, there's a ton of movies that are backlogged Mm -hmm. um, for release later on in this year that we've kind of talked about before and that we'll talk about more um, in the, in the episodes to come here, Uh, October 22nd, if it's not already circled on your calendar, Circle that shit now. That's the day where we get Dune along with a bunch of other great things. Uh, but the last movie that we're going to talk about here on this podcast is Argyle. And this um, movie is in pre-production, was just announced. Grant really wanted to talk about it, so we're going to try and do it justice. Um, set right now for a 2022 release. And the, the quick little synopsis is just the world's greatest spy, 
Argyle. So we have our, our titular, you know, character here. Um, is caught up in a globe trotting adventure. And and you know, might sound neither here nor there, but then when you give it this cast of Henry Cavill, Bryce Dallas Howard, Samuel Jackson, Sam Rockwell, Brian Cranston, John Cena, Dua Lipa, we're jumping all over. Jackie Chan's probably gonna jump in there. <laughs> Maybe Zendaya. Um it's it's directed by <laughs> Zack Ma- Snyder. By Matthew Vaughn, who <laughs> okay. who yeah, you know, great. Kick, yeah, kick ass, X-Men, things yeah. like that. Who he, he's had his hand in there. He he was a producer on Layer Cake, even. I know that that's one of Grant's earlier uh, or earliest kind of favorite spy action type movies. Uh and so yeah, you know, I, I think that this movie it, for somebody who doesn't really have a relationship like I don't with Henry Cavill you know, because I'm not into the DC universe, I would love to see him kind of be that action star that I know he already is for so many other people mm-hmm. just on like, you know, a more basic level, you know, kind of tone it down a little bit and, and give me the, and, and same with Bryce Dallas Howard, people like that, where I know she's been in the uh, Jurassic series m- most recently running around in heels, escaping Raptors and things like that. So, so maybe give her some more realistic shit to do and, yeah. and let's see these actors you know, maybe get to act a little bit more, but still kick some ass. Always, always excited for a new spy thriller. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we love spy movies. So, yeah. Uh, so that, that'll do it for this episode of excuse the intermission as we approach our one year anniversary. It's just so great that we have so much upcoming content to cover almost a year ago. When we started this podcast, we were spending much of our time revisiting older films, um, coming up with top five lists and film bracket ideas to help pass the time until movies return to theaters and look at us now. We're back. Uh, so if you do want to hear some of those earlier episodes, you can, of course, find them on our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Just don't hold us accountable for any of the production value or, or stammering. Uh, we were just three guys with a dream back then. But now we have support from great people like Derek Schneider every week. A huge thank you to him for running sound once again on this episode. Thank you to Max, Grant, and Heath. Grant, we can't wait to have you back in the studio with us next week. Safe travels on your way back home. And, of course, thank you, the listener, for giving ETI a play as we prepare for the month of August and the dog days of summer. I feel as though another mailbag episode is drawing nearer and nearer, so be on the lookout for upcoming prompts, film fans. As for next week's episode, join the three of us together again as a team as we venture to our cinematic desert island with room in our carry-ons for only one filmography from a single actor, actress, and director. That'll make for a very telling get-to-know-your-hosts-at-the-core <laughs> episode, I feel like. Uh, so until next time, we will see you at the movies. Stay swell and give them hell.